Hello, everyone, and welcome again to the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. The Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race, and they give you a preview of the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, welcome back to another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast, and I am happy to say that we finally had a terrific weekend, weather, racing, stages, points, performance maybe not pit stops but you're gonna have some talk <laughs> you're gonna have some uh, information on that a little bit later when we get into the the review of the race but the cup series visited las vegas there were some fans in the stands which that was a big thing last year that there weren't any fans in the stands last year so a big difference for the drivers there i think they said about ten thousand people were actually in attendance and i thought throughout the weekend from the truck series to the xfinity series to the cup series racing altogether seemed pretty good to me yeah, the mile, this mile and a half had a lot of good uh, good action, and it wasn't just the restarts. Uh, once you got going into a, into a, uh, a run, you could pass people, you could get around them. It wasn't just the high line or just the low line. Of course, uh, Ryan's car was able to do a lot of that, so it gave us a lot to watch this weekend, and uh, man, was that a rocket ship. Yeah, I really thought the racing altogether, um, I think last week, said possibly one of the best mile and a half races of the year the last couple of years at homestead we get to vegas and i think that one possibly even topped that the way they were racing it was almost like that first stage i think they said there was 35 passes for the lead and just that first stage alone whereas last year i think one of the races had around 19 or 20 total and then 35 total for one of the other races at las vegas it reminded me a lot of like a restrictor plate track because like you said, we're used to some of these tracks since they changed the aero package to where the leaders will be clumped together for maybe the fir- first four or five laps after a restart and then everyone stretches out across the field. But in this past weekend's race, it really was lasting, you know, 20, 30 laps where those top five were kind of under a blanket the whole time and made things pretty exciting. Yeah, it seemed like uh, you, you'd uh, adjust your line a little bit depending on which end of the track and... Uh... You gained the speed and you figured it out. Once you got near somebody, you could make a pass. It wasn't where you got stuck or you got stuck in the dirty air and couldn't get around them. So cars who were better cars than other cars found their way around guys. And uh, everybody's adjustments, each set of pit stops changed things a little bit. And some cars got better, some got worse. But uh, the results we were looking for, they were there this week. Uh, they did everything, like I said last week, you know, be optimistic and look look for something good to happen. And it, it happens. So that was the power of positivity right there. So as Steve said, Ryan had a rocket ship. So I think it's that time that we review this race this past weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Ryan Blaney, Race Recap. Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Okay, 267 laps uh, this this week for the Las Vegas uh, Spring Race. Cautions at 80 and 160 for the stage breaks. And, of course, there was a competition caution at lap 25, which we'll be doing when we don't have any qualifying or uh, practice. Uh, Ryan started 26th with Harvick on the pole, and I didn't see any cars that had to go to the rear this week. And, of course, like we said, this car took off by lap 3 up to 19th, by lap 6, 18th, by lap 14 up to 12th. And, of course, by the end of the stage, all the way to ninth. Once again, I get the, the competition caution. And uh, we re- this time we don't have a lot to talk about as far as adjustments and changes. Uh, Ryan is talking about being a little free, a little loose. He used the number one, so I guess they're doing some sort of scale one to one to something. 
and then uh, they just went four tires and fuel with a slight air pressure adjustment. Now, as the race goes on, and, and, and this is something that happened pretty much every pit stop that was uh, under yellow, the way Ryan comes in, he's coming in with the top five to ten cars. As he comes down pit road, the pit stall ahead of him is the six car. The six car, of course, is somewhere between 20th to 30th to, you know, back in that area. So once Ryan pulls in, they start service on his car. All of a sudden, Newman is in front of him and or just coming in front of him as Ryan's about to pull out. So there were times when Ryan had to go out and around Newman and maybe you had to anticipate Newman diving into the pit box literally as Ryan was pulling out of his pit. So there may have been one or two positions lost on pit road during caution pit stops during this race, but it had nothing to do with the team, had nothing to do with the pit call or adjustments. It had everything to do with having a bad pit selection based on their starting position for the race. Uh, so, you know, as you see this race go on, he might lose one or two, come out a little bit further back, but once again, the car was so fast. Ryan was so fast that uh, they can make up those spots pretty much on every restart. That was one uh, of those interesting things for sure, that pit selection deal. So again, as you said, pit selection each week is based on the previous week's finish of the race. So obviously Ryan having uh, a bad stretch there didn't have him uh, being able to get that pit selection exactly where they want it. And I know some teams, when they do have kind of prime choice, they're looking at the first stall or the last stall. And that was that pit selection was a big thing this weekend, actually, because Harvick was on the pole and people kind of made some noise because he didn't pick the first pit stall. And he, in some interviews and some, and I think uh, his crew chief too, had said actually at Vegas, for some reason, this, the first stall isn't actually the best though. Usually it is. There's also pit stalls where the, stall that would be right after you is actually like the entrance to the the garage area or the stall right behind that would be right behind you is the entrance to the garage area there so those are some prime spots also guys like to maybe pick with um you know like quinn howe for one of the other i don't mean to just pick on him but that team historically doesn't really run too well because of funding so you know there's a decent chance that after you, the first caution or the first stage of the race, they're going to be a couple of laps down and won't even be pitting with you. So you have a clean exit or entrance into your stall. One thing, um, not necessarily Ryan related, but Trackhouse Racing kind of put out this mini documentary this past week on their first couple of races as a team. And one thing, um, Daniel Suarez and his crew chief were talking on pit road after... I don't know if it was after practice for Daytona, possibly. Um, I can't remember when they would have been talking there. But they, he was asking Daniel about like where he would want to be on pit road, and Daniel basically said, all the way at the front or all the way at the back. I don't like the middle. And he's like, okay. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting. I'd be interested to know if, if Ryan has a, a has a preference as to where he's on pit road or if it's really where Todd thinks strategically the best spot would be. So... But we might not think that a lot goes into that selection, but those teams probably um, have very specific spots they want to get to. And when you're a little bit low on the totem pole for selections, it makes your week a little bit tougher. And that's kind of what this team faced throughout the weekend. Yeah, the, um, coming up for the next, uh, the beginning of the, uh, the, uh, <clears throat> the restart, um, the choose cone on that one, they went to the bottom. Now, 
the TV coverage does not do a very good job of showing the choose cone. They talk about it and the, especially when you're the top four or five or five or six cars, it's kind of important to see who you're going to push and who's pushing you. So the, the restarts can get a little hairy. And there were a couple where Ryan actually moved up a spot or two based on the fact that he was able to take a lower spot. Like Josh will count off how many cars were going low. So he would have said three or four low. And then and if there was already 10, eight, 10, 12 cars out there, Ryan would take that low because he gained a spot or two right off the bat, you know? So I, I wish TV would do that a little more justice. Uh, they didn't show it as much as they needed to. Um, they uh, started out, let's see, eight by lap 33. Um, it was tightening up a little bit and uh, they got all the way up to sixth by lap 39. Um, then there was a caution at lap 34 for debris. Um, he was talking about roughness over the bump and uh, they went uh, with four tires, went down on the air pressure, back down to where they were and um, in fourth and out fifth. Now here we go. You know, he, he made it up to fourth, lost a spot on the pitting, but um, you know, they've, uh, they chose the at uh, the top on the choose cone there and uh, got up to fourth by lap 57. So basically the car was doing great. He was pretty happy. I didn't hear a lot of com you know complaining about an issue. Um, feedback was basically the little minor adjustments they'd have to make each pit stop. Um, I find it interesting. There were points and times where they ask for temperature. Um, so they know if they can put a little bit more tape on the front, but I really found it interesting is there was a time or two where Ryan knew that they might green flag pit and he actually even anybody asking him, he started to just talk about it. You know, he was in, in enough, of a, uh, running well enough and in enough open area where he didn't have his hands full and he can actually get on the mic for a second or two and, and tell him exactly what type of thing he wanted to adjust. Um, we get down to the end of the stage and he's all the way up to third. Uh, Brad wins the stage, uh, Kozlowski gets the win, um, but uh, all the way up to third. And uh, that was pretty good coming from where they started. And uh, it was a good way to start the day. Now, I thought it was interesting that your might, you know, listeners and fans might be wondering, like, what was different this week? They're at a mile and a half last week, and they really struggled with the handling of that car. Well, in interviews since this race uh, at Las Vegas, Todd Gordon has kind of come out and said, specifically at Homestead, I don't know about the other races, but said that they kind of found some things that they thought, you know, over the off season, I would assume probably through simulation or maybe even just in the last race there, that they thought that they could tweak some things with the setup or change some things a little bit. We talked last week about how, um, and it's kind of come out even more that maybe specifically the Ford teams were doing some different things into the wheel wells and NASCAR has reinstituted actually a physical uh, template that the teams have to fit in the wheel wells now so there's not much of a gray area anymore but Todd said basically what they did for this race Ryan finished uh, really well in the in the championship race uh, at feet or at uh, sorry that's Phoenix that's that's moving on Ryan ran really well at Las Vegas last year so they went ahead and just pulled that exact setup loaded it into the car for this race and voila I mean, I'm not, I'm not a, an engineering genius or anything, but I would think, you know, ran really well last year. Don't remember that many complaints, throw that same setup and let's go racing. So, I mean, you can't fault them for trying to innovate, trying to make things better. Cause that's what those crew chiefs and engineers are always looking for. It's just that extra 
even you know you know tenth of a second speed out of a car to be able to beat somebody and um it kind of looks like the hendrick cars actually have found that and everyone else is chasing them this year so they uh they start off uh segment two um go in oh they pit uh pit at the end of the stage there uh third come out fourth uh go low on the choose cone but uh by lap 90 they they get up to uh second place and then uh then once you like what you just said the hendrick cars start coming the five and the 24 start coming alive um but by lap um by lap 117 he's in third and uh they pit at lap 125 um they're uh this is a green flag cycle. So this kind of like it breaks up a little bit of the stage and uh, we get to see some different strategies take place. Um, at lap 151 after the, after that cycle, he says he doesn't quite have the grip um, that, uh, that he had earlier. So this kind of like, you know, not that the car itself is fading, but uh, they've got to figure out some way to get him a little more grip uh, in the turns there. Um, stage two, um, it passes Byron at that point, uh, at one point. And, um, of course he ends up fifth and, uh, Larson wins the stage. So, you know, once again, another great stage, great finish, a lot of points and, uh, moving right up the, the playoff uh, leaderboard there. And that's one thing I'm not really sure what all was going on with Joey Lugano's car, but they interviewed Keselowski several places after the race. And he mentioned that issue that the Penske cars kind of had was that toward the end of the race, they were losing a lot of the grip that they had early on. The TV coverage talked a lot about, and they showed the data on the screen of these drivers mostly holding it wide open throughout the race. Uh, when you start to lose grip, you can't do that as well as others, or you slide around a little bit more while you're wide open. So that was kind of one of the things during the race that Keselowski specifically was asking, you know, you know, can you tell me what the Hendrick cars are doing into the turns? Um, because it just seems like that they could they could hold it wide open longer than they could, and um, I forget who it was. It might have been Truex or somebody had even mentioned at one point about them, the Hendrick cars actually even seeming like they're going faster in the turns than they were on the straightaways, and like really asking his team if they could figure out what the heck was going on. So, um, but grip level was a big thing early on in the race. It was very overcast, and without it being kind of hot and slick out on the track, that kind of grip everywhere toward the end of the race the sun was peeking out a little bit more so that track's going to go over some changes even though i'm sure that the temperature was also going down a little bit towards the end too so lots of things affect these cars so even though i just said a couple of minutes ago yeah just throw that old setup in that worked last year weather conditions cloud cover sun air temperature all of that can affect everything and uh maybe put you in a spot where Ryan had a chance to win this race uh, in the past. And this time runs in the, the top five, which is still solid. Uh, one of the interesting things that happened at the end of the stage uh, that was pointed out on the radio was that uh, Larson had a chance to pass the six and lap him. And he kind of backed off. And this once again, plays into the problems with pitting where they were pitting. Uh, if, they do pass him, and even if he's the lucky dog, he still'd have to pit the second time around. Would have given Ryan a clear, clear out of his pit. Um, but like I said, Larson uh, decided he wanted to leave Ryan uh, Newman on the lead lap. So, um, not sure why, because Newman's one of the hardest guys to pass once he is in your way. So, um, 
but uh, that did, like I said, cause a little bit of the, with the pitting. Um, once again, it went in fifth and then uh, came out eighth. So, you know, having to go around him kind of made a difference there. Um, it makes you wonder if the crew chiefs are, I know they pay attention to a lot of the minute details, but it makes you wonder if Cliff Daniels knew. You know, Blaney's one of the, the faster cars. If we pass Newman, he's pitted in front of him, and this is going to do him a favor. Um, maybe he didn't know at all, and it was just total total coincidence that, that Larson didn't get around him at the end of that stage. But um, you never know. I think sometimes those guys do pay attention to things like that. Well, if you watch the uh, the, the lead that he had on, uh, it was a Kozlowski, I believe, was running second at that point. The, the lead he had on him with about eight 10 laps to go was like five or six seconds. And by the end of the stage, it was like two and a half. So he definitely let something happen. You know, maybe he was just trying to save the car a little bit, not run it as hard, but it, you know, something weird was going on there. Um, so like I said, they went in fifth, but then ended up coming out eighth on that uh, pit cycle. Um, they took a little bit of air out of both rights to try to help with that grip issue. Uh, like I said, nothing major, no track bar adjustments or anything like that. Uh, they go with the, they go low with the choose cone. Um, and when they go back green, there's a hundred to go at this point, um, by lap 169, it's uh, seventh place. Then there's caution with uh, 98 to go at lap 169. They stay out, um, which a couple cars didn't. And there was a buffer. I want to say of about 13 or 14 cars between him and the first car with uh, fresh tires. Now the, the, couple cars with fresh tires did make their way through there the ones that were good and that of course was larson and keselowski they come up through there but um and really didn't lose a lot of positions to anybody else who came up through there um pretty much hung on into that like fourth or fifth fifth or sixth uh, area there for the rest of that uh cycle till they did till they did green flag pit cycle later on um Let's see, with uh, 78 to go, he was at, in sixth place. And then he passed the 24 with uh, 66 to go. And we got him passing the uh, the 19 up to fourth with 54 to go. But they were a little bit tight. Uh, they pitted with 45 to go or 44 to go, somewhere in that range. Um, there was something about maybe missing pit road. Now, there were a bunch of cars that we saw that during this green flag cycle had an issue with uh, cars that were down below them. Um, and trying to see them uh, not hit them basically as they try to slow down to come down pit road. There was a nice view of the one car where uh, not the, not the number one, but the one car that came down pit road and another car went flying up underneath them just before he made the left. So there were a couple of issues like that. I think um, Larson actually ended up having an issue making it to pit road. So uh, it didn't really totally affect things because they kind of kept going, but um, they may have had a little issue there. Uh, after the pits, after the pitting cycle ended, but in sixth, roughly. So uh, they didn't really lose, like I said, didn't really lose much to that. And by lap 241, uh, six to 26 to go. And at lap 252, he passed the 19 for fifth place and uh, almost caught the 11 by the end of the race. The 11 was having issues and he got within about a second of them with a couple laps to go, but uh, traffic and so forth, they couldn't get around to traffic quick enough to get to him. But uh, P5, a great finish, great race. And then uh, Larson, of course, uh, finishes it off for uh, Hendrick. And uh, that Hendrick team is actually, I guess, the 48 team. So that's the first time that team has won in four years. It was interesting that after this race, some people were saying, Hendrick is back. And my first thing was, Hendrick won the championship last year. 
<laughs> they, they've been back. <laughs> There's no, you can't go any higher than that. Yeah, I know they didn't have success totally across the board. Jimmy didn't win, uh, didn't win a race, but still, no, I think that they've been back compared to a, a couple of years ago when that new Camaro nose came out and the Chevys as a whole were struggling. Yeah, they've made it back leaps and bounds from there because it seemed like Chase Elliott was really the only Chevrolet that could win. Uh, for that year and a year and a half about where they struggled. So really solid race for Ryan. I love the fact that toward the end of that race, he had already moved into the top five after he passed Truex. But Todd kind of got on the radio and said, I want that 11 car, basically. And Ryan, you know, got that message and he he reeled him in. He was reeling him in all the way. Just needed probably a couple of more laps, maybe a little bit better, a smoother move through some of the traffic. And he probably could have had it. But compared to... The previous starts of the season so far, getting this solid. It wasn't even just, oh, they finished fifth. They were strong in every single stage of this race. Um, There's just that one kind of lull there where he was having some grip issues to where he was kind of stuck in that, you know, seventh, eighth place area. But by the end of the race, they had this a pretty good, decent long run car. The car kind of came to him as it went on, reeled in some more guys pulled in that solid top five finish. And then the good news is going into this next race at Phoenix, they're going to be in a better position for pit selection, for starting position. And he runs pretty well at Phoenix, and we'll be talking about that soon. Yeah, it was a, it was an overall great day to, to watch a race, and uh, the action was there. And it's uh, so much more fun to watch, watch him running up front because the TV coverage is there. You get to see him on the screen a lot. And... Uh, yeah, I had a good, good, uh, good weekend with it, and uh, we get uh, many more of those to come. This week in NASCAR history. All right, it's that time of the show, Steve, where I am breaking out the NASCAR history book to take a look at some of the. I was going to say sights and sounds, but I guess there's you got some sounds here. <laughs> you can imagine the sights as I describe some of these events in history. But take a look at this week in NASCAR history, March thirteenth. 1983, Richard Petty ends a 43-race winless streak and nips Billy, El- Billy Elliot <laughs> nips Bill Elliot by a bumper in the Carolina 500 at Rockingham. The triumph is the 196th win of Petty's career. That was March 13th, 1983. We're going to stay in the 80s. March 8th, 1987. Dale Earnhardt crashes in practice but drives a repaired Chevrolet to his 22nd career victory in the Miller High Life 400 at Richmond Fairgrounds Raceway. We're moving on to March 9th, 1997. This week in NASCAR history, Dale Jarrett leads the final 59 laps and breezes to a victory in the Prime Star 500 at Atlanta Motor Speedway for his first win of the season. Ernie Irvin finishes second, giving Robert Yates a 1-2 finish. Steve Grissom, that's a name I haven't heard in a while, survives a tumble on the backstretch late in the race without serious injury. So 1997, I'm wondering if that's before or after they reconfigured Atlanta, because I know they made some changes, the front stretch became the backstretch, but I wasn't watching races just yet. But do you remember Steve Grissom? I remember the name. That was, uh, yeah, back back a ways. Um, I'm trying to remember if that was Dale Jarrett in the 88 car at that point. It would have been because, yeah, he would have been with Robert Yates Racing. So Yeah. And then finally, I found that there really wasn't a lot going on in this stretch of March throughout NASCAR history, going all the way back to the 50s. So you only get four dates this week, so hopefully you enjoy them. This final one is coming in March 12th of 2000. Dale Earnhardt and Bobby Labonte engaged a terrific late race duel at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Earnhardt leads the final 20 laps and nips Labonte at the finish line by a bumper. 
shocker, to score his 75th NASCAR Winston Cup victory. Now, that's that's surprising to me. Earnhardt not known for using the bumper. I thought he had a shoehorn, actually. Ah, that's right. <laughs> it was more of a plow. People forget that. No. <laughs> no, they didn't call him the Intimidator for nothing. And I, I remember, uh, I think people talk about this race at Atlanta. It had been one of his, uh, I think his last win came at Talladega the same year. But yeah, this Atlanta race win was also one of his, the last wins of his career. So... A little bit abbreviated version of This Week in NASCAR History, but hopefully you enjoyed that. You can tune in again next week for some more tidbits from around the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Phoenix Raceway. All right, Steve, the NASCAR Cup Series is continuing its abbreviated West Coast Swing for 2021, the beginning of 2021 at least, and they're heading to the site of the championship race, Phoenix Raceway. You can catch the race 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, the Instacart 500. It's going to be on Fox, MRN, Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. And the good news is this week that Ryan has moved up into the 15th position in the standings, 96 points back from the lead, and things are looking a little bit better. So because of this points position, again, we said he's going to have a better pit stall selection, but also where does that put him with his finish last week and points and some of those other metrics? Where is that going to put Ryan in the starting position for this race at Phoenix? Well, according to Mr. Pockross, all the way up to eighth this week, starting eighth. So he can see the front this week and we should be able to get a better pit selection and won't have as many cars to go around when we got to get to the front. Hopefully at the end of stage one, maybe win one of these stages. One of the interesting thing about the standings though, that um, people are starting to talk about is we've had four different winners uh, so far this year and there's 26 races before the playoffs actually start. So with four different winners, a lot of people are starting to think we're going to have maybe 16 different winners before the start of the playoffs. So winning a race might be way more important than usual this year, unless somebody starts doubling up and winning two or three races. And it's not just the fact that we've had four different winners this year in 2021 three of the four winners are drivers that did not participate in the nascar playoffs last year being kyle larson who was suspended michael mcdowell who won the daytona 500 locking himself in most likely and then william byron did win a race last year he won the the august daytona race so he got himself into it but then you have christopher bell in the number 20 car for joe gibbs racing was not in the playoffs. He was kind of in the hunt a little bit toward the end. Didn't have enough points when he was uh, with his previous team to make it in. So that's already three faces right there that are taking up three of the playoff spots right out of the gate along with William Byron. So wins are going to become very important. Getting enough points to point your way in. If you're Matt Benedetto right now, you got to be a little bit scared. If you're Ryan after this finish at Las Vegas, you're in a much better position. Yeah, better position, but, um, I mean, look at the guys who haven't won yet who usually win by this point, Harvick and Hamlin. And although Kyle had Kyle Busch had a bad year last year, he's one guy that in the next couple of weeks, you know, might win one. So you might have six, seven, eight winners again right off the bat in the first couple of races and nobody doubling up. And uh, maybe Ryan can double up, win two or three of them before the playoffs. Phoenix, historically, has been a pretty decent racetrack for Ryan. He has a K&N West Series race that he won there in 2011, right when he was kind of getting on the scene and people were starting to to know that Blaney name beyond just Dave Blaney. Overall, Ryan has an average start of Phoenix at 6, including two poles. He has an average finish of 15.7, but in all of those finishes, two top fives, five top tens, He has run very strong there in the last four races, finishing third, third, has a little bit of an anomaly, finished 37th 
in the spring race last year. He got into a, a crash, I believe, with Denny Hamlin very early on in that race, and then he finished sixth. He's also led a decent amount of laps there, going back to the 2019 spring race, led 94 laps. So running up front there is not a new thing for Ryan Blaney. The fall race uh, last year was very interesting because, of course, that's the that's the championship race. And to finish fifth amongst the four guys who are racing for the championship uh, is pretty good racing, especially when you're trying to stay out of their way and not affect them in any manner. But yet your car was operating well enough and you were driving well enough to maneuver right in there with them the whole race. I would say the other good thing is, People talk a lot about how Kevin Harvick, uh, every time we go to Phoenix, oh, you got to pick Harvick. He's dominant there. Yes, Harvick has a ton of wins there, went on a string of victories there, um, like 2015 to 2018 time. Since then, he's only really won once, finishes pretty decent. And people talk a lot about it being possibly kind of a, a mind trick or a mind game, just in the fact that they reconfigured phoenix they didn't actually reconfigure the track they just moved the start finish line and moved the grandstands and some things so there's still some guys that are calling the turns by their old turn numbers and various things and it just they say mentally even though you're you're probably supposed to be driving the track the same way that you always did it still might feel a little bit different because you're hitting the start finish line at a different time luckily in brian's case i think he may have only had uh, a couple of races possibly before the reconfiguration so maybe he's not being uh, tricked by any of those mind games. The crazy thing that, that when I watch a Phoenix race that I, I can't quite figure out if it works or doesn't work, and it's hard to tell, is they come down that front straightaway, and then some of them go down inside the apron, basically, and some of them stay up on the, what is the track surface. And that going down across seems like it works a little better, but then when you get down to what would be turns one and two, you know, you know, you're having trouble turning quite as good as the guy who had the momentum staying up on the track. It, it I don't know. Sometimes it's just, you know, it's interesting to watch them fan out and do it and then come back together and nobody wrecks. But does anybody get an advantage by doing one or the other? I, I really can't tell sometimes. Yeah, it's definitely cool to see. And I think a lot of it has to do with the cars that have actually stayed on the track, like how much slack they're going to cut you, which sometimes they don't have a chance because if they're kind of aggressive about it, they could just get taken out by somebody doing it. I think it also depends on that transition that the car diving down to the inside takes because sometimes it's pretty violent. Um and you don't want to mess up anything in your suspension while you're doing it, so you really need to hit it at the right spot. Now, again, I think I've brought up me being an amateur NASCAR heat driver on the PlayStation. I do it every single time just because I see them do it on TV. I don't know that it makes me, <laughs> me any faster, but it makes the game a little bit more interesting. Um, so you just uh, you never really know. I mean, I, that, that might be one thing to pay attention to this week specifically to see if there's somebody that's doing it. Now, even at a track like Las Vegas last week, they were doing that on the front stretch. Not the same situation that we're talking about, but when you're not at a track that's named Daytona or Talladega, there isn't a double yellow line rule, and you can if you want to. Uh, it's up to you uh, to your ability to handle the car. You can go down below the line at the bottom of the track and and use a little bit of that the inside way 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 inside lane that uh, you might not always want to use to pass. So um, Phoenix is one of those places, though, and that's part of one of the reasons why they reconfigured it because during restarts that kind of gives guys right out of the gate a chance to kind of just fly down there and uh, see if they can make something happen. But I, again, I think it's a lot of it has up to the the car that's actually still back up 
on the track at that point. So taking a look back at the last 10 or so races at Phoenix Raceway, going back to 2016, I'm just going to name off some of the winners here so you get some names in your mind. Joey Logano, we have Ryan Newman, which I believe this was Ryan Newman's last victory, Matt Kenseth, Kevin Harvick again, then we have a couple of straight victories here in the fall race and spring race by Kyle Busch, then Denny Hamlin, Joey Logano won the spring race last year, and then obviously the reigning champion Chase Elliott won this race to claim that trophy in the fall last year. Ryan went on to finish that race in the sixth position. So again, if you want to watch the Instacart 500 Sunday, March 14th at Phoenix Raceway, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, you can catch it on Fox, you can listen to it on the radio on MRN, you can listen to it on Satellite Radio at Sirius XM NASCAR. All great options to catch this race, depending on whether you're at home, in the car, on the run. Um, I don't know, Steve, sometimes I, I hear about people actually tuning into the MRN broadcast, doing some trickery uh, in order to get it to sync up with the TV. Um, for me, when I'm at home, I guess I just kind of tend to listen to the TV guys. But if you ever have a chance to uh, listen to a full race on the radio, those guys do a terrific job of painting the picture of the action. And sometimes it even feels more exciting than maybe it would on TV. Yeah, when we do get to go to the track and we set up the scanner, sometimes we will uh, we'll put the put the MRN on the, on the scanner. And uh, it's amazing listening to them. They are excited. Everything that happens right in front of them, they go from you know one guy in this corner, the one guy in that corner, and they pick it up and they give you all the action. And uh, they're pretty exciting to listen to, yeah. So I just did a rundown of some of the drivers that have claimed victory at Phoenix Raceway in the last 10 or so races there. So I think it would be a good time for us to take uh, a look back and then a look forward maybe at the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League and the standings and our picks from last week for Las Vegas and so forth. So again, Steve, I'm going to go first here, give you a rundown of the drivers that I put into my starting lineup for the race at Las Vegas I had picked. Martin Truex Jr., Alex Bowman, Ryan Newman, Kurt Busch, Matt Benedetto, and I had Joey Logano in the garage. A bit of a rough week for me. Martin Truex definitely performed, getting me 35 total points. Alex Bowman did pretty good. I got 21 points from him. He did have that late race flat tire that kind of derailed his chances of a top 5 or top 10 finish. I had Ryan Newman in there. I mean, the, the main thing here, though, is you can't... We talk about this every week. You can't just use, you know all the heavy hitters every race. So I try to throw in a couple here. And even here, I didn't throw that many guys down the list into here, but I did have Ryan Newman in there. I had Kurt Busch starting because he had won this, uh, the fall race there. Matt Benedetto, along with Ryan, Matt Benedetto was kind of right behind Ryan in that first stage and the other stages moving up through the field. He had a great race going. Unfortunately for him, had a, a failure in uh, one of the wrenches on the car. He actually ran the last segment of that race at Las Vegas with three fresh tires and one old, I believe right front or left front tire that they had to leave on the car. And he had to nurse that thing home, I think to a 16th place finish, but he got me 24 points. I never moved Joey Logano out of the garage just because it didn't seem like he was setting the world on fire. Um, I think he had a fairly decent finish, but I thought I would save him for another day. My bonus picks for the week, I had picked Chase Elliott as the race winner, even though I didn't have him in my lineup, because he's always strong here at Las Vegas, but hasn't been able to put a complete race together, and then once again, wasn't able to put a complete race together. He had a had some got some damage a couple of times, spun out, wasn't that great of a race for the reigning champion. 
I had Alex Bowman as the top Chevrolet. We talked about his trouble. I had Joey Logano as the top Ford. Obviously, that didn't happen. I had Truex as the top Toyota. I had Toyota as the uh, manufacturing winner. And I had Joe Gibbs Racing as the top team. Those were all middle-of-the-road selections for me. So a little bit of a rough go for me this week at Las Vegas. I had uh, Kyle Larson in my starting lineup. So right off the bat, we're in good shape. Uh, I didn't have him to win, but... uh... And I had Denny Hamlin. He ended up giving me about 48 points also. So uh, between those two guys, it was almost 100 points. Um, I did have Denny winning the race and uh, Chase being the top Chevrolet, Joey being the top Ford. But none of those things panned out. And, uh, of course, Denny being the top Toyota, Toyota being top manufacturer, Gibbs being the top team. And none of those things really panned out to a lot of points. But, like I said, having Hamlin – um, Martin Truex, Larson, Chase Elliott, and then uh, Harvick was my fifth guy. Uh, he didn't score a lot of points, but once, once again, Denny and Kyle scored a lot of points for me, and uh, I made a little move, I guess, in the standings. Yeah, it wasn't a great week in the Rogers household because, one, I'm struggling overall. I think I'm down in the 40s in the league standings. My wife had Kyle Larson in her starting lineup until minutes before the race and took him out, I think potentially replaced him with Kurt Busch. Uh, she kind of has a soft spot for Kurt. So uh, that didn't turn out to be a great uh, choice, and she was a little bit angered about that toward the end. So um, overall, let's take a look at the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live standings. In first, we have Doug K0525 with 751 points. In second, Blaney's Daisy is still holding down a top-five position here. Third, Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing is racing up the standings into third with 726 points. Team Penske, likely the unofficial Team Penske, is at 722 points in fourth place. In fifth, we have Moon Cup. In sixth, we have Rogue Tough. In seventh, we have Sam Speedsters. In eighth, we have Dusty Hawk 90. In ninth, we have I'm a Winner with 691 points. And then finally... In the 10th position, it's tied between Blaring Idiots, one of my favorite names in the league, with 689 points, and Joe Lopez 1, tied for the 10th position. And then we have my man Mez moving up the standings into the 13th place position with 683 points. Making moves. I can see it. I can see the top 10 from here. So again, if you want to join the Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League, I'm pretty sure you can sign up anytime throughout the year. There is still time to get into this league and have a chance to uh, finish in the top five, finish in the top ten for some bragging rights among your fellow Blaney fans and NASCAR fans. So you can sign up at on the NASCAR Fantasy Live website, search for Team Blaney. You can look through the Team Blaney social media feeds and find some posts about the Fantasy Leagues there also. But just kind of a fun thing that will keep you interested in the race. Helped me out a little bit uh, for some of the races that Ryan was struggling in, but this past race, it was all Ryan all the time for me, uh, just keeping up with things. So, Steve, we've talked about the race at Las Vegas. We've talked about uh, this upcoming race at Phoenix. We've talked about our fantasy standings. Where do you think the number 12 team, Ryan Blaney, Todd Gordon at the helm on the pit box, where do these guys finish this week at Phoenix Raceway? I think we can get another top five out of this week, uh, starting up up a little close to the front and uh, not being a mile and a half track makes a difference now because you, you want a little more track position um, to start a race, not have to do something fancy to get that track position. So this week being up there starting eighth and I think uh, Keselowski, I think has the pole. 
So, you know, they're going to get good feedback from what uh, the other Penske cars are doing in front of them. And uh, I think they can get to the top five and have a good week with it. And uh, who knows, just uh, now we're at that point where um, once you're up there and you make that slight adjustment or two, if it's the right adjustment and it works just right and gives you better control of that car, you can make the passes and get to the front. I think this is going to be one of those weeks. Yeah, I'm really hoping that Todd Gordon takes the approach that he did this past week puts a familiar setup into the car for this race that Ryan ran really well with last year. And again, I think I'm just going to stick with hope Ryan finishes in the top 10 for another solid points week. If he gets stage points throughout and finishes in the top 10, that's fine by me. If he wants to go out there again, win the race, I don't think we're going to have any issues with that, but so make sure you, uh, Tune in again this week to see Ryan Blaney and that number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske hit the track at Phoenix Raceway. It's almost short track racing, but not quite. They like to sometimes lump in these mile tracks with the short tracks, but there might still be a little bit of beating and banging, rubbins racing type action going on at the restarts. As you said, fanning out on the track, coming back together to get into the turn. You never really know what's going to happen at Phoenix Raceway, but hopefully it's an exciting one, and hopefully it's a successful race for our man Ryan Blaney this weekend. So I think that pretty much wraps up this edition of the Team Blaney podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning in again. I must say we're averaging more than 100 people downloading this episode, these episodes every week, which I think for Steve, I'm not sure what your expectations were. But for me, it's kind of exceeding them right now. And I think it's just plenty to build on going into the future. Yeah, tell a friend. Everybody this week is tell a friend week. Get a friend, have them try it out, have them take a listen. And if you haven't done it yet, subscribe, because that way it comes out when it comes out. You get it right away. Uh, You know, it's on Apple uh, Podcasts. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on Spotify. Or you can subscribe through the the website that it's set up on. Um, Do all those things. That way you'll get them right away. And then that way, if there's anything down the line that happens, we want to hurry up and throw another podcast together for some sort of event or something. It'll be right there in your feed right away after we posted it. So go ahead and subscribe and this week tell a friend if everybody picks up one friend this week we double right (laughs) that sounds good to me and if you'd like to learn a little bit more about myself and co-host steve go ahead and as he said take a listen to some of our past episodes specifically our first episode that really dives deep in how we both became fans of the blaney racing family if you'd like to interact with us you can find team blaney on twitter at team blaney and on facebook at facebook.com slash team blaney don't forget to download rate and subscribe the team blaney podcast you can find us on the apple podcast app the google podcast app on spotify on iHeartRadio. Pretty much on all of the major podcast platforms now, you can find Team Blaney and hit that subscribe button or that follow button, and you can listen to all of our episodes. I would say listen to the first episode, listen to the season preview. We just want to give you a taste of of what a fan's perspective is of Ryan's racing weekends, give you a little bit of look ahead, and just, I don't know, some hopefully some fun banter back and forth between Steve and I as we go through these shows. So once again, to close out the show, we want to remind you to check out the Ryan Blaney Family Foundation. This organization, established in 2018, supports causes that have closely impacted the Blaney family, including the Alzheimer's Association and UPMC Sports Medicine. You can find out more about the foundation on its website, ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org, or on Twitter at rbfamfoundation, and then finally on Facebook at facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation. Keep on the lookout there and on Team Blaney for the upcoming Blaney Bunch Fan Club announcement. We're gonna we're waiting just as you are for more information on that, and we'll get it to you as soon as we know. 
So again, for my co-host Steve Mez, my name is Adam Rogers, and we'll catch you next time on the Team Blaney Podcast.